I cherish the memories and try and focus on all the good things and not as much on the losses. Do you need a spiritual spark? Are you feeling run down or run over? Are you ready to eliminate the spiritual ups and downs? This is Fresh Faith in Real Life. Let's restore life in your walk with Christ. We'll dive into our featured guest interviews, biblical devotional thoughts, answers to your questions, and more. Your walk with Christ isn't meant to be a performance. It's all about relationship. Let's get to know Jesus and experience fresh faith in real life. Here's John Fugler. Welcome to episode number 20. Coming up, a moving interview with a couple who has found a strong faith in the midst of great loss. Thoughts on knowing Christ, the comfort and healing of Jesus, and batter up, opening day is next week. This is Fresh Faith in Real Life, a ministry of Fresh Faith 24-7. I'm John Fugler on the exit ramp of the Performance Christianity Highway. I'm an author of a devotional series called Your Life with God. I'm a husband, father, grandfather of eight, and as you may know, most importantly, I want to know Jesus more each day. Paul said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Find that in Philippians 3.8. I'm also the CEO of Fresh Faith 24-7, where we lead you on a path to freedom in your walk with Christ. Well, if you know my story, I, I played sports growing up, and all I have left now is pickleball. Uh, no, not really. I did play catch with my son the other day, and I threw the ball hard, according to me. I can still hit fly balls, too. I'm not, I'm not gone yet. I can still do this thing. <laughs> anyway, opening day for baseball, Major League Baseball, April 7th, next Thursday. And getting excited about that, of course. Babe Ruth said this. This is in honor of opening day coming up. And there's, there's a life lesson to this, all right? It's not just all about baseball. He said this. Never let the fear of striking out get in your way. The babe said that. The great home run hitter, also the great strikeout guy, and he was the leading hitter in strikeouts for many years, but he's been certainly passed by that. He's down like, like 130 or something like that in the strikeout list. He had 1,330 strikeouts. Compare that to the major league leader, Reggie Jackson, almost had twice that many. And I saw Reggie strike out once. It was an historic game. I've got the artwork in front of me. A commemorative poster was made describing this and showing this. And I was there my first game at Dodger Stadium. I'm a huge Dodger fan. It was the World Series, and Reggie Jackson was up. And Bobby Welch, a rookie pitcher, struck him out. It took about seven minutes for this at bat. I was in the bleachers. I was screaming. I was loving it. Dodgers won and Reggie struck out, and he also struck out 2,596 other times. <laughs> okay, uh, you've had enough baseball, right? I haven't. How about some baseball jokes as we get ready for opening day next week? <laughs> baseball jokes, yeah. What's the difference between a pickpocket and an umpire? The answer is one steals watches and one watches steals. Okay. My grandkids love these jokes. Um, <laughs> I, I stole these jokes, though. These are not my originals. Where do catchers sit at lunch? Of course, behind home plate. How about another one? Ready? Last one. What are the rules for zebra baseball? The rules for zebra baseball. 
three stripes and you're out. Oh, here's a bonus. One more. Last one. I promise. Are you ready? Why are most baseball games at night? Easy. Bats sleep during the day. Okay, there we have it. Uh, we're, we're moving on, folks. We're moving on. This whole show uh, does have a baseball theme in it. And uh, anyway, to switch directions, you know also that I believe that knowing Christ is so important in our walk with the Lord. Knowing Christ. In fact, I think it's the secret to life. And how can we get to know him more deeply? Well, that's why I do this podcast. That's why I do Fresh Faith 24-7. That's why it exists, to help believers know Jesus. And that's why I created Fresh Bread for Fresh Faith. It's a great way to kick off your morning prayer session with God. Fresh Bread for Fresh Faith, it's a short email devotional that I write. Three times a week, I deliver this sweet aroma of fresh bread to your inbox. It's quick, to the point, gets you going for the day. It's just a 60-second read. So to sign up for this, just click the link in the show notes or go to freshfaith247.com and click the fresh bread item in the menu. This free Devo will hit your mailbox early in the morning and it'll spark your day in prayer and in the word on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Again, I said it's a 60-second read and it is. It helps you to know Christ. So go get it, okay? Uh, we share some fresh bread each week here too on the podcast and it's time for that segment. Well, as I switch gears, uh, this week we're talking about the delicate issue of when we lose a loved one and how God fits into our lives. And I remember when my mom died at her young age, it was a tough time. It was a cold December week in upstate New York, and as it always seemed to be there, it was cloudy, snow was on the ground. It fell almost every day when we were going through that with her in the hospital and then through the process of the, the memorial service and the burial. And it was just cold. It was cloudy. It was dark. And the stark gray environment, uh, it, it contributed to the mood that filled the air for my family. We were all pained in a big way by the loss of such a wonderful woman who had given herself for us. I remember how my mom would squirrel away extra grocery money in one of the drawers. And then she'd send it to me at college to help me out. And you can imagine when a $20 bill showed up in the mail, what that meant to a college kid. And uh, as I reflect on that, it, it's moving for me even now, decades later. Loss. Um, you know, how can joy be restored in our lives when we're going through a time of loss like this? Uh, when we lose someone close to us, there, there are emotions that are indescribable. They take over. Whether a loved one's death comes slowly or suddenly, the finality of it all has a profound effect on us. We reflect on our past with that loved one. I think of my mom. Uh, we might move back and forth from happiness to sorrow as our minds race through history. I don't think there's any formula for restoring the joy of the Christian life to our lives in a season of loss. It's not a math equation. The ebb and flow of life isn't predictable. But I do know that our Savior's healing touch is an element of restoring joy. Allowing him into our loss and sorrow is critical. Time is also a part of it. Letting those feelings just happen. Can we move from sorrow to joy instantly? I, I don't think so. I, I know we can't. It, it's a journey. 
It's maybe months. It's maybe years. It takes time. But joy will gradually return when we gaze at Jesus. When we spend time with him, when we allow him to capture our heart and our emotions. The author of Hebrews says we're in the right place when we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Have you read that? Jesus knows our our greater pain and sorrow that we're experiencing in our loss. He knows all about that. When he went to the cross, he was separated from the Father that he'd been one with for eternity. He was ripped away from that perfect relationship. And Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy set before him. And he knew my sorrow and my loss. Uh, As we meet our guests today, he knew their sorrow. He knows their sorrow in their loss. And if you've gone through it, he knows your sorrow in your loss. His arms are wide open to comfort you as, as long as you need. He'll restore your joy by speaking the eternal into your soul. Speaking the eternal into your soul. Once Jesus went through the pain of separation, he was resurrected. And as Hebrews 12, 2 says, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you too have an eternal home prepared for you with the Father. While that truth of that promise might not sink in now, let it work into your souls. You sit with Jesus in your season of loss. And whether you're going through that loss now or whether it's in the future, it's coming to Jesus. And he is the one who restores us. If you would like that fresh bread for fresh faith devotional every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday morning, go ahead and sign up on the website or click the link in the show notes. Jim and Jeannie K. Van Houten are dear friends of ours. My wife and I met them over 20 years ago. It was a hot, hot day. (laughs) More on that in the interview. You'll hear about it. Their son, Jeff, played baseball against our twin sons a few times, and that's how our friendship started. And that friendship, even though we were living hundreds of miles away, it really grew. Uh, Jim is a retired financial planner, and Jeannie K. had a career in education and raising their boys. And their lives were turned upside down nearly two years ago when their son, Jeff, tragically died. I don't know if there's anything more painful than losing a child. I've seen this couple walk through the storm. I've witnessed their heartache and pain, but I've also seen how their walk with God has flourished. I wasn't sure if I should ask them to be on the podcast. And I wasn't sure if they wanted to be. But I decided to take a step and ask. And they said yes. They said yes because they wanted to help others going through a crisis like this. It was a hard interview, probably the hardest I've ever done. But when I think about fresh faith and real life, I think of people like Jim and Jeannie Kay. And I am so grateful they came on the show to share their story and their faith journey with Christ. So here's that interview. Jim and Jeannie Cave, thank you for joining me. It's uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. We're glad to help any way we can. Jeannie Cave, does Jim really look like he's retired? Does he act like he's retired? He just keeps zooming along, doesn't he? Uh, he keeps busy. I think he's very, very busy, even in retirement. But that's just him. He just likes to keep busy and he gets inspired and comes up with ideas. Hey, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take up this new activity. And uh, he 
it took him a while to really enjoy retirement, but I think he's getting there. <laughs> I remember it was 20 something years ago that we, we met and Jim met you first. Noonie and I were in Arizona, in Phoenix at Grand Canyon University watching a baseball game. It was 10 o'clock in the morning, I think, and it was 100 degrees. At least that's my recollection of it. And there was not a cloud in the sky. And it was that's July. True. It was July, yes. I think. It was very middle, hot. Middle of the summer. Uh, our sons were playing against each other, but we are from California. You're from Arizona. We just happened to be facing off against each other. I believe Noonie and I were about the only ones in the stands from our team, and you were the only one in the stands from your team. At least I remember it that way. And thank you for providing an umbrella of shade for us. <laughs> yeah, you guys look like you really didn't know what it was like to be in Arizona in the summertime at a ball game. <laughs> we thought umbrellas were for rain, but no, you had yours for the shade. So we huddled, we huddled under that. No, we really appreciate that. Um, but that's the first time I got a chance to meet you. And then over the years, we uh, got together again around baseball, around ministry, around finance, uh, and got to know you. Uh, Jeff, your son was the same age as our boys and end up playing against each other a couple times. And uh, we got to know you over the years and it's been, it's been really special. So as we get together now, we're, we're talking about, about Jeff and uh, just the pain of, of losing a child and you lost Jeff. Um, let's get to know him though. First, tell us about your son. Well, we, we were blessed with four sons and Jeff was number three. And he was uh, an amazing athlete, even uh, in his toddler years. Uh, his older, oldest brother was seven years older. And one time I was coaching him, my oldest one, in uh, a batting cage that we had in our backyard. And he, he, was, he was 11 at the time, and Jeff was four. After Jameson got through hitting the balls in the cage, Jeff wanted to hit. And I said, Jeff, this is set up for 11-year-olds. You haven't even had a ball hit yet. And he says, come on, dad, let me try. Let me try. Well, he got in the cage and I'll be, he started hitting the ball like crazy. Um, when he was nine years old, I told him I had to play golf in a charity tournament. I was a tennis player, not a golfer. So I took him to a golf course so he could uh, learn how to play golf. We hit some golf on uh, some balls on the driving range. Then I said, Jeff, let's go play nine holes of golf. Well, he proceeded to par three out of the nine holes on his first time ever playing golf. <laughs> he loved baseball. He would um, find anybody in the house to get him to come out and put balls in the machine in the batting cage so he could hit balls. He lived and breathed baseball. Sometimes he'd take his bat to bed. Um, we, we encouraged him to do other sports in the winter months uh, just to get a well-rounded and not get burned out. But by 13, he wanted to play baseball year round. Jeff is also a very giving child of ours. At Christmas, he would find that he got a gift and one of his brothers was really liked the gift that he got. He would go back, rewrap it and give it to his brother. He would take all the money he saved up all year long and use it for Christmas for everybody else. Just a very giving, caring, loving person. And um, then our big thing was uh, baseball. Hmm. Oh, so, yeah. I, I know all about that. Um, Jeannie Kay, just tell us tell us about, 
about Jeff from your perspective as a mom? Uh, he had the biggest, greatest smile and would wake up and just be happy. That was, that was just him and just be loving and caring. And um, he, he was one who really always enjoyed having a good day. And it was fun being around him. We really enjoyed him. Mm. Uh, Jim, you mentioned baseball and you're a baseball family. You're, you were two dedicated baseball parents and you had some interesting times following Jeff around the country, didn't you? I did. Um, it went, I wanted to tell you one story that, that you might enjoy when he was playing high school baseball, uh, Jeff always batted third in the lineup. He had power. And so uh, we were playing a game that uh, at a, a field that had a, a railroad track behind it. And um, when Jeff came up in um, one of the later innings, I forget the number, um, he hit a grand slam home run that was so far that it went out of the field, went out of the school grounds and into the door of an open boxcar of a train that was going by at the time. And it gave a real loud bang. I happened to be filming that game. And so all the fans uh, and I got to see it on film as he hit it into a boxcar. And they wrote an article about it in the newspaper and said there was a home run that went 453 miles. That's where their train stopped. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and he continued on that. He had a, a wonderful career. He was... Um, uh, recruited all the way from uh, Miami of uh, Florida and uh, Oklahoma State and, and California schools, but he ended up going to the University of Arizona in Tucson. He loved the school, and that's where I went. Um, and But it's uh, for those who don't live in Arizona, it's about 120 miles from where we lived in Phoenix. Well, I'm sure so you guys he, were happy that he went there. You know, you're probably grinning about that one that he made oh, that he made that choice, right? I was very happy he did. Um, he was highly recruited by the, the or their number one competitor, Arizona State, uh, which is in town here, but he wanted to go there. Going to see him play there, by the way, was an away game for me because that meant I had to go down to a, a hotel room down there and eat meals out because the games were Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. Well, I remember you, you made a lot of trips. Uh, boy, I remember this like it was just last year. Uh, you talked about all the trips you made, uh, like to the West coast, cause it was, uh, pack 10 or pack 12 at the time. And so you went everywhere. Yes. Um, of his 219 college games, I attended 176. So I was all over Washington and Oregon and Nevada and all over California, Northern and Southern, um, went into New Mexico and, uh, all the way East, as far as Notre Dame. So we actually got a chance to go to the College World Series in 2004. Oh, that's amazing. Jeff got not, not only recruited into college, but also recruited into pro baseball. And so yeah. that's kind of where the story turns a little bit here and gets, uh, gets tough uh, because he had everything going for him. Things were just motoring right along uh, for his professional career. And then something happened and maybe you could tell us that story. Yeah. When he was in college, his best year, he batted 413 in the Pac-10, which is unheard of. 
um, just a terrific, prolific hitter. And the um, Florida Marlins recruited Jeff uh, into their system. His first year, he played in the New York Penn League and was MVP of that league. The second year, he was MVP of uh, the next level up. And uh, he continued. But the problem was, every time he got hurt, the trainers would give him opioids for the pain. And not just one, but several. And um, if you get too many of them, you make mistakes. So um, you don't react fast enough or whatever. So Jeff went through years of getting these opioids for the pains that he got running in the wall, sliding into bases, getting hit by pitches. And finally, in his fourth year, um, he made a mistake. He was up to bat. Uh, it was uh, at the highest level uh, before you get to the majors. And uh, a 96 mile an hour fastball came inside. And instead of turning your left, he was a right-handed batter. Instead of turning your left side or your back towards the ball, he turned the other way thinking jump out of the way. And the ball hit his knee and shattered his patella, tore his ACL, MCL. He, he, his knee was a mess. And um, it took, uh, even after two surgeries and 24 months of rehab, his mother could run faster than he could. At that, just at that point only. <laughs> okay. But his um, uh, addiction to opioids began in professional baseball and continued after baseball. Uh, it How got, could something like that happen? Was it, was he not monitored or was this just a natural way of, of treating these athletes? I'm kind of confused here back in those days that was a way that you treated the pain that athletes were feeling the whole idea of the minor leagues is to get you up to the major leagues and so if you've got minor pains or you know intermittent pains then they give you opioids so that you can perform and continue to perform at a high level and then get recruited to the majors Jeannie so, Kay, what were your thoughts at that time did did you follow what was going on or was it pretty much in the background? I thought we knew, we knew what was going on, but when he's in pain, um, I, I can't fix his pain for him. Yeah. And so, um, but it was, it was hard to live with. Um, the opioids affected his personality. Um, and, uh, we struggled with that. He had anger issues at times and other times was just as sweet as, as can be. It was up and down. And, um, we, we spent about four months and over a hundred thousand dollars to get him off of opioids. But then the substitute for that was alcohol and he became an alcoholic. And, um, uh, there were a lot of automobile accidents and DUIs and, and it was a struggle. It was a real struggle and he would lose jobs. Um, his obviously his baseball career was over after that knee was destroyed. You still got to run the bases. So, um, we helped him as much best we could. Um, he finally, um, got going to AA was doing well with AA, uh, had in fact gone a year, um, uh, clean and sober through AA. He also worked for a company where he was involved in sales and was their top salesperson. Wow. Sounds like things were turning around for him. Um, he was wonderful. He was wonderful. He was, he was the same old Jeff. He was so loving and the family dinners were just terrific. 
Just for then, a time frame, tell us uh, what it was that from the time he was his baseball career ended to this time where he was able to uh, seemingly recover. His his career ended in two thousand nine, and uh, he went back to college to get his college degree. He had one more year to go, and he did. In two thousand ten, he graduated, and then we struggled and. Um, with the opioids and finally got him to get off of those in 2014. And then um, we went back and forth between fighting alcoholism until 2019. And then COVID hit. 19 was his best year. 19 was his best year. Then, and he was living by himself in an apartment um, and he was doing quite well. And then the company he worked for as soon as all these COVID restrictions hit in the spring of 2020, um, they decided their first course of action was to fire everybody. 37 people lost their jobs in one day at his company, including him. So he tried to get other jobs, but as you remember during that early stages of COVID, a lot of businesses shut down and restaurants couldn't do anything. And we didn't know whether COVID was spread by touch or air or how it was spread. So people weren't, weren't hiring. And people just felt isolated and he felt isolated. And he was afraid of being around us because, you know, what if he gave us COVID? So um, it was a really tough, tough time. So he started back drinking again. Now we would still go over to his apartment and bring him food and and help him to um, you know pay his bills, his rent, and everything, just to keep him on a on a good basis. But all of a sudden, he started drinking again, and uh, we tried to get him to go back to AA. Um, the drinking continued, and then um, we have a summer home that we go to that's about two and a half hours from here, um, and we so we didn't get a chance to see Jeff for a month. And then all of a sudden at uh, 4.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from a policeman. The last thing you want to hear is a phone call from the policeman at 4.30 in the morning. And this was on July the 4th of 2020 to tell us that the previous afternoon, Jeff had passed away. He had um, uh, been on his way from his apartment to the main building to get his mail collapsed uh, uh, off the sidewalk into grass. It was 110 degrees and he just lay there. Nobody helped him until finally after several hours, somebody called the paramedics and they came and picked him up, took him to the hospital, but he was uh, DOA even at the scene. He was gone already in the grass. After, uh, after he was gone, my second son, Jared, was kind enough to go over to the house at the apartment and pick up the valuable things that we wanted and the pictures and mementos. And he brought me his papers. And it was several weeks later that I was going through all Jeff's papers when I found a doctor's report. And the doctor's report told Jeff, uh, this was 11 months before, that his liver was severely damaged. In fact, so severely damaged by opioids and alcohol that uh, there was no way he was going to live more than a couple more years. And I didn't know that. 
He never told anybody. He knew it, but we did not know. So, so I, that's when I called you among right. all of our friends and said, we lost Jeff. I remember that day. And that's what you said. You said, we lost Jeff. Yeah. And that stopped me in my tracks. And I couldn't believe it. You know, we've been praying for Jeff for many years. And you'd been keeping us updated on his situation. And, and yeah, things looked really hopeful. And then I guess that that's what made it the shock is things were going better for him. And then, then we get this, this call and that was, that was hard. And I just felt for you two and I felt for your family. And it's shock like that, that makes us think about things in life that, that matter. And, you know, in that moment, did, did God come to mind? Yes. Um, I love to sing. I, in fact, I sing in a choir. And at that moment, what came to my mind was, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We were so blessed to have him. You know, it's interesting. I spent more time with Jeff in those 37 years than I did in 40 years with any of the other boys. It was like God knew that I was only going to have him for a short time. So let's maximize that time. We played golf together. We, we played, you know, we watched baseball. We went to baseball games, football games. So after he passed, we had to quickly pull together a funeral service for him. And with COVID, that meant that our family, we just could have our family and that's all. And uh, uh, they had all sit apart from each other. But um, the pastor who did the service said they'd never seen a service where the eulogies were given by the oldest brother and the father. But in the tragedy, it's like the family pulled together. What can we do to help? And so different ones did different things to help. And it brought the rest of the family closer together. Jeannie Kay, what was, well, what was it gonna, like for you? I'm not going <laughs> to. I was not happy. I wanted my son back. So it was very hard for me to, to talk about it. I wanted it to go away. So it took me a while before I could really talk with anyone other than Jim about it. And I think people need to know that, that not everybody grieves the same. And sometimes you just have to do what works for you and be patient. And the thing we learn. You have to rely on God because God can help you. And you need to know that. And we can't control everything. We really can't control anything. And God's in charge. We don't always know the wise, we have to keep our faith in God. There's some um, stages of grief that you hear about, you know, the stages of shock and then, <clears throat> and then anger and then depression and then, you know, bargaining with God and finally acceptance. But in reality, you bounce around and all those stages every day. Something comes up, you think of something, you hear something, you, somebody says something. And that's normal. That's the stages of life. But you accept the fact that we had a blessing in that boy for 37 years. 
and they were good quality years for the most part. And we've really focused as a family on the good and um, getting together more as a family because we realize we don't know what's going to happen and we don't want to miss out on our chances to be with our family and be together. So even out of tragedy, good things came of it. One of the good things, John, was that um, we decided to establish a scholarship in Jeff's name. And it's for the, uh, you know, uh, a terrific hitting ball player at the University of Arizona. And uh, so that has been done. And uh, the first recipient has been awarded. And that will be an annual scholarship. We set up an endowment fund to fund that after we're gone. So there will always be a scholarship in his name which they were quite excited about. Most of the people give scholarships for football, but they were quite excited for baseball. And the other thing that was really interesting, I was amazed at how many people I met who had also lost a child. I, I had no idea. And it was comforting to be able to talk to those people, to realize that what we were going through was normal, to know that, we were loved and cared for and, and how, to, uh, how to transition into memories instead of hugs. So it was terrific. It's really bonded us with some wonderful people and give us, gave us an opportunity to comfort them. When we were with you, uh, Nuni and I were with you a couple months ago, and to see your strength and see your faith, I mean, you are both outspoken in your faith, and you are just ambassadors for Christ. And I see that. And you're able to talk to Noonie and me about Jeff and about your walk with God and how he met you at different places along the way. And like you said, now you're able to help other people too, who are going through situations just like yours. Was there a, I don't even want to call it a turning point, but was, I don't know what other word to use. And Maybe the turning point hasn't come yet, but has there been a turning point uh, where you were able to see God meet you in a special way um, mm -hmm. and where you really internalized some things that the Lord taught you and provided for you in his grace? I don't even know how to ask that question, but something has happened in your lives. I see a stronger Jim and Jeannie Kay than two yeah. years ago. And, and I, I reached that before Jeannie Kay. Um, a lot of prayer, a lot of time spent with the Lord and listening to what he said. It, it's funny, a lot of my friends think that prayer is talking to God. And I told them it's listening to God too, twice as much as you talk to him. And uh, that really came through to me. I really felt his presence and I felt his strength. And I was able to reach out to, to other people and be able to be able to speak to the quality of life and how, how precious life is so that we spend every moment, the rest of our lives, being grateful for the time that we have, not wasting it. It's made our children more serious about life and yet able to enjoy it because we trust in the Lord. And um, so I hit that pretty early and I was able to reach out to others who were hurting and they thought they were comforting me and I was comforting them. 
And I know the Lord comforts me, and I know we will get a chance to see Jeff again. And uh, he'll be proud of how strong we have been uh, in his absence. Jeannie Kay, how about you? Your your process was different than Jim. Yeah, it, it took me longer, but the peace that came when, <laughs> when it finally arrived was a blessing because it just makes the difference in the day and how you how you look at the day and how much more grateful I am for the life I have. And I cherish the memories and try and focus on all the good things and not as much on the losses. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing, but I think people need to know who lose a child is you're not the only one who's ever had that happen. There are plenty of people who will comfort you if you share the word, but you dwell in talking about the good things in Jeff and in in your child that you lost. The bad things, they disappear. Uh, even Jameson said, you know, boy, in the last year and a half, any bad thoughts have seemed to disappear. All the good ones are rising to the surface. So <clears throat> it is a normal part of life. God gives you the strength to work through it. He gives you the friends to help you through it. And through our Bible studies that we have and through our church and our pastors, we've been able to feel that strength, which is amazing. I mean, you get that strength coming into you, flowing into you. It's like this tragedy has opened the door to seeking God's strength, and he's given it to us. And the thing that hits me is we're talking about something that didn't happen 10 years ago or five years ago, but this is less than two years ago. And this yeah. is, this is raw. It's still raw. And thank you for taking the courage to talk to me and our listeners about this. Cause I know it's hard. You're still walking through this. This isn't something that you just package up and you put it aside and say, we're through this. I, I you'll never get through it, but you're getting through it in a different way. So it's it's still fresh. Absolutely. And, and you get flashbacks and you get you know, relapses, if you will. But um, I, I don't get anger or, or um, anything else other than I feel thankful, thankful to the Lord that we had Jeff, that we had the time with Jeff and the quality of time that we had with Jeff. It's just wonderful. And it's brought me so much closer to so many people and to be a missionary to others. People, so many people know of our story that if they hear of someone who has loss, uh, they tell me about it. And I have one individual that um, we send things back and forth to each other, and it's just been a, a wonderful blessing. And I wanted to ask you if it was okay if I read part of an email he just sent me a, yes. a couple of days ago. He says, my eternal focus is different. Whenever thoughts of loss come into my mind, I take them captive and consider that my daughter is in glory. She is where we are striving to be. If I could walk through heaven's gates and ask her if she wanted to come back to this world so we could have more time together, I'm certain that she would tell me that heaven is awesome, that she's good where she is. She reminded me to stay, to finish strong, and to see her, to see me whenever I make it home. Hmm. So I thought that was a great message. And so 
that's that's really sums up what I'm trying to share and and with other people. Oh, thank you. And Jeannie Kay, any closing thoughts? Cherish all the times that Jeff and I would get excited about doing things when we would move into a, a new house and he would help us or he and I would cook together. Um, just focusing on the good things and the blessings. And uh, God gave us a gift in Jeff, but he wanted him back. <laughs> and I think one thing that Jeannie Kay said earlier it, brought, it, it can tear you apart between a husband and wife, or you can lean on each other and the Lord, and that's what we've done. The Lord has blessed us because we got strength from each other. Well, we, we want to pray for you in this healing process, and you've got listeners now who people who don't even know around the world who will join you in prayer too. Uh, and God has done an amazing work in your lives. I, I just am Lord, by your faith, and you have decided to cling to the Lord. And thank you for sharing the things you did today and the perspectives that you have. I thank the Lord every day that uh, this couple from California were, were out in the hot sun boiling, and I'm sitting under a big, beautiful shade, said, hey, you guys, come over here and let's talk about the Lord amazingly we both love the lord and shared our witness at that time and it has grown into a terrific fellowship thank you for fresh faith and thank you for your work we love you guys and uh, we pray for you too and the lord's blessings on you all right thank you thank you well you might be as emotionally wrung out as i was after i finished that conversation with jim and Jeannie k van houten if you've gone through loss and have something to share with our listeners, as Jim and Jeannie Kay have, would you please let me know? Uh, this is a hard thing, really hard. And we can help each other. You can help others who are going through it, just like Jim and Jeannie Kay may have helped you and are helping so many other people. It's times like this that we find our greatest comfort in Christ. I may have shared this in a recent episode, but it's worth saying again, especially when we're on this topic. When Jesus returns, followed by God's establishing the new heaven and new earth, all creation will be restored. Christ will return. He'll judge sin and evil. He'll usher in righteousness and peace. Sin will be eradicated. Perfect fellowship of God will be enjoyed. We look at that in the future, but in our pain, now, in times of brokenness, boy, that's hard. But we have to look ahead. And Jesus will make things right when he comes in his glory. He'll restore. But even today, Jesus restores. As you listen to Jim and Jeannie Kay, you, you, you could hear the restoration in their lives. Yeah, they're still on the journey, but God is restoring them. Jesus restores. He restores broken relationships between friends. He restores marriages. He restores our joy when it's stolen by tragedy, hurt, or disappointment. He restores our hope when we're consumed by loss. He restores our fellowship with the Father when we've turned away from him. He also restores our faith when we have little to hang on to. He even restores our love for him when our heart's cold. And he restores our peace when worry overtakes us. Jesus restores. He 
restores, no matter where you need restoration in your life right now, look to Jesus. Thank you, Jim and Jeannie Kay, again for, for being on the podcast. I appreciate your courage and taking the time to come join me. You know, we all need a place where we can come together to know Christ. We can't do this thing alone. And I established Fresh Faith 24-7 for that. It could be the place for you. It's not a church, but it's a community of believers who are desperate to know Jesus. It's all about that. We do it together. So visit freshfaith247.com and and sign up. And don't forget to sign up for the Fresh Bread for Fresh Faith Devo on the website or through the link in the show notes. As we come to the end of this episode, I turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God.